You are listening to the Grace Church of Mapton podcast. This week's sermon by Pastor Adam Copenhaver covers 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. Thanks for listening. Well, thank you, Cole, for reading our passage. A few years ago, maybe you'll remember this, a few years ago there was a song that kind of became popular for a little while at funerals, and I, this is where I first heard it and heard it played uh, several times at different funerals, and a song that says, or goes like this, nobody knows how to say goodbye, it seems so easy till you try. Do you remember that song and how that song goes? Anybody hear that song? Okay, just me? Well, real popular song apparently then. Uh, but a, a kind of a very honest and sad song about how hard it is to grieve. But then it, as the song continues, here's the final lines of that song. It says, nobody knows how the story ends. Live the day doing what you can. This is only where it began. Nobody knows how the story ends. Nobody knows how the story ends. Well, kind of a, a catchy tune, a powerful tune. If you listen to it, play it or look it up and listen to the song, and you can kind of understand, or I can kind of understand why people might want to play that at, at a funeral. Nobody knows how to say goodbye and how hard it is to say goodbye. But it's also a song that offers very little hope. No one knows how the story ends, the song says. So just live today and do what you can because nobody knows what's coming next. Well, fortunately for us as Christians, we do have hope. And in passages like this, we have a clear and defined hope about how the story ends. And because we know how the story ends, that's why we can live today with hope, with confident hope, no matter what hardships we might face today. Over the past few weeks, we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've been, well, we've worked through most of the book of 1 Corinthians over the last several months. And then chapter 15 here is a very long chapter, 58 verses, and so it's taken a few weeks for us to work through it, but it's been kind of a hope for you, it has been for me an encouraging chapter because of the focus in this chapter on our hope as Christians and our hope of resurrection. So if you remember back, the chapter started in the first 10, 12 verses or so with a reminder of the gospel. Paul says, here, I want to remind you of the good news that you've received, that we believe as Christians. And that good news, the gospel, Paul reminds us of in the first part of the chapter is about Jesus, that he died for our sins, that he was buried. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. He went up into heaven. He now lives. He reigns as Lord. And then Paul, throughout the rest of this chapter, talks about how Jesus will one day return. And when he does return, he will bring resurrection to us that we will be raised from the dead just like he was raised from the dead. And so last week we talked about the details here in this chapter where about what will that be like when we're raised from the dead? What will our resurrection bodies be like? That was last week, how we'll be in one sense the same body, the same kind of body, the same person, but also be raised from the dead imperishable and glorious and powerful with a new kind of life from the Holy Spirit, will be like Jesus. So today we're finishing out chapter 15, and with more good news for us today, more to think about 
about the resurrection, about the eternal life we'll have with Jesus, the victory, and how all of that motivates us today to continue following Christ. So here's our outline for today. This, again, in your bulletin, if you want to take notes, up here on the screen as well as we work through the passage. Here's, here's our outline. First, that we will be changed. We'll talk about that. And then second, that we will have the victory. A very important word in this, this passage. We'll have the victory. And then third and finally, here's the application for today. Don't give up. Don't give up following Christ. So first, we will be changed. We'll be changed. In this section, we begin with verse 50. And in verse 50, we kind of have a, a summary of sorts of what's already been said in the chapter. So here's verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So Paul here, verse 50, is saying by flesh and blood, he's referring to our sinful nature, to who we are apart from Christ, and saying if, if we don't belong to Christ, if our sins aren't forgiven, then we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We will perish. We'll perish rather than inherit what is imperishable. But the good news, this whole chapter is about the good news. The good news is if we, if we do belong to Christ, we've put our trust in him, our sins are forgiven, we have new life in him, then we will inherit the kingdom of God. We will inherit the imperishable when we're raised from the dead. That's what Paul's been saying so far in this chapter. That's what we've seen in the first 49 verses. But now Paul still has more to say. It's as if he's saying, but hold on, there's more good news. It gets better. You know, it reminds me of like, like an infomercial where they're like, but wait, if you order now, you'll get double. Paul's saying, but wait, there's more good news. So in verse 51, he says, behold, here's a mystery for you. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now sleep here, it's a word that he's using for death, kind of a nice way of talking about death in those days. Like we might say today, somebody has passed away and we don't want to use the word death. And so they would say somebody fell asleep when they've died. And Paul says, guess what? Not every Christian is actually going to die. And so Paul's saying, like, follow the logic here. We've been talking about people who have died in Christ, and Jesus comes back, and they're raised from the dead to new life, resurrection from the dead. But then we might wonder, well, what about those Christians who, when Jesus comes back, it's during their lifetime when they're still alive on the earth? What, what happens if he comes back while I'm still alive? Do I get a resurrection body? I never died. What happens to me? Do I just keep this body and go on for all eternity? And Paul says, guess what? Jesus has you covered too. If he comes back in your lifetime, you will be changed too, even if you never died. Here's how it's going to work, he says in verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, there's the trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and will all be changed, those who are dead and those who were alive. It's going to happen quick, Paul says, all at once, not a long transformation, an immediate transformation. This trumpet will sound. 
And like we talked about with the kids, it's a picture of how a trumpet was used in the military in those days to, to wake up the soldiers in their tent, to rally the troops, to tell them it's time to get dressed for battle, that sound the trumpet. And Jesus says when, or Paul says when Jesus returns, the call will go out like a trumpet blast. All the dead will be raised, and boom, they'll have those resurrection bodies we talked about last week. <clears throat> but not just the dead in Christ, Paul now says. All of us will be changed. That includes those who are alive in Christ. And so if you're alive, Paul says, here's what happens, verse 53, this perishable body that I'm living in right now, my body, will put on the imperishable. This mortal body will put on immortality. I'm not going to just waltz into heaven just like this for all eternity, but my body's going to change too, just like those resurrection bodies. And I, if I'm alive when Jesus returns, I'll be imperishable, glorified, powerful, with resurrection life, eternal life. So all that's kind of Paul's way of saying, whether you're alive or whether you're dead in that day, no difference. You belong to Christ and he returns, the trumpet sounds, you'll be changed. <clears throat> you'll have the resurrection body and be welcomed into his kingdom. No Christians left behind, alive or dead. And so that takes us to our second point then. Paul says, we will have the victory. We'll have the victory. This is our second point. Anybody here like to lose? Anybody enjoy losing? Anybody like to win? Okay, you can be honest, okay? I love to win, personally. It's a lot of fun to win. Victory is kind of where it's at. It's better to win than to lose, I think most of us would say. If you're, especially if you're passionate about something like a sport and you put in all of that hard work to practice and to train and exercise, you kind of like to see it pay off when it's game day to win. And Paul says for us as Christians, here's more of that good news. We will have the victory over the greatest enemy of all, over death itself. And so here's what he says, verse 54. Look at verse 54. He says, when the, perishable, <clears throat> when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, that's what we just talked about. Jesus comes back. We're changed to resurrection bodies. When that happens, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting. This is like a, a victory song here, almost a taunt, really. Like, we'll be taunting death. You thought you were so big. Where's your power now, death? Look at you, defeated and under our feet. And this, this song, this victory song, comes from two passages in the Old Testament from the books of Isaiah and of Isaiah and Hosea. Two passages. And so the first line Paul has in this song that the death is swallowed up in victory, comes from Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. Isaiah 25, 8. If you go back and read Isaiah chapter 25, you'll find that the entire chapter, Isaiah 25, it's rejoicing in how God will one day defeat all of the enemies of his people, and he'll prepare this great feast for his people, 
and he'll wipe away their tears and their suffering, and everyone will be glad and rejoice in the salvation God has given. And at the heart of that salvation and all this rejoicing, Isaiah 25, 8 says, in that day, God will swallow up death forever. He's going to devour death, wipe it off the face of the earth forever. And because there'll be no more death, that's why there'll be all of this joy and gladness in God's salvation in Isaiah 25. Then the second half of Paul's little victory song here comes from Hosea chapter 13, verse 14. Again, in the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 13 is all about how God will judge his people because they've rejected God, they're worshiping idols. And Paul takes these words out of that passage and uses them here now to taunt death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death, you used to sting us. It was like you could hurt us and, and you won every time a Christian died. But now that Jesus has returned and there's resurrection, where's that sting now? Oh, death, where'd your victory go? And Paul gives a little more explanation in verse 56. He says, the sting of sin is death, or the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So the sting, you think of like a scorpion, like a deadly scorpion, how it can, how it can sting you. And he says, the sting, it's like sin stinging you and giving and putting into us this poison that leads to our death. And the power that sin has to inject that poison into us comes from the law, where God has said, here's what you have to do to obey me. But we've all disobeyed God and his law. We're all sinners. Sin has stung us with the poison of death. And death, one day, will catch up to us all. And that's, that's the reality of the world that we live in now. This is what makes life so hard now, sometimes even unbearable for us. Because we live in a world of sin, disobedience to God, the consequences of sin, death, and all that's associated with it, the suffering, the pain, the grief, the hardship. That's the world we live in. But the point in this whole passage is to say for us as Christians, we know what the future holds. We know the victory is coming. We know that one day we will look at death and we will sing the victory song. Death will have no more power and will stand over death in victory because of Christ. So give thanks to God, Paul says, even now. This is verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for this incredible gift that you give us the victory. The victory has already been won by Jesus. He's already been raised from the dead. We know how the story will end. In fact, the story is rigged. The game of life is rigged. The outcome is predetermined. There's no question about who's going to win because Jesus has already won and he's promised us the victory. So I don't know what it's like for you if, you if you watch a sports game. You know when you watch a sports game and the outcome is unknown, who's going to win, how it can be a little nerve-wracking to watch a game. It's never over until it's over. Even when you think that your team has it in hand, you're always a little nervous. 
like they might just lose it. Here's just a hypothetical scenario. Let's just say that your favorite team is in the Super Bowl and it's a close game, kind of back and forth, but it's the end of the game, time's running out. Your team has the ball, they're at the one yard line. They have the best running back in the NFL. All they have to do is hand him the ball. He's going in the end zone. It's a touchdown. We're going to win the Super Bowl. It's, it's virtually over. The victory's in hand, you know, hypothetically speaking, right? And then what happens? Oh, no, a pass, an interception. How can that, how did they do that? How could you lose that? You know, you know what I'm talking about? You can imagine that kind of scenario, maybe hypothetically speaking. How can you snatch defeat from the jaws of victory like that? How can you lose when the victory seemed so sure? It's nerve-wracking when the outcome is not known. But that's what we're seeing in this chapter. That's not how we live as Christians. For us as Christians, life is, life is more like watching the replay, where you already know how the game is going to turn out. A while back, a couple weeks ago, we went, our family went and made a day trip to a Mariners game, and we watched the Mariners, and they had one of those close games, kind of back and forth, exciting game, and they pulled out the victory at the end. So it was a little nerve-wracking the whole time, like they could lose this, we don't know how it's going to go, but then they won the game. And then just the other day, we were at a restaurant, and they had some TVs up and going, and one of these TVs had a Mariners game on, and we were kind of looking and realized, oh, that's, that's the same game we were at. And so now we're watching the replay. And while we're watching the replay, we already knew the outcome. They're going to win. So there's no nerves. In fact, it was kind of exciting to watch because we knew, oh, this is the inning where they're going to score five runs. This is going to be fun. We can watch this inning. And we already know how the game is going to turn out. We have the victory. That's what we're seeing in this text. It's already been won. Jesus won it when he was raised from the dead. God gives it to us freely when we trust in Jesus. We know how the story is going to end, and it's all good news. Death will be swallowed up in victory. We will be changed. We will live forever in a resurrection life with him. That's how the story ends. We know how it ends. We're watching the replay effectively. So what does that mean for us today? We already know the outcome. Well, here we come to verse 58 now in our third and final point. Don't give up. Over the past few weeks, I've tried to point out verse 58 with every sermon because you have 57 verses in this chapter where Paul's talking about the resurrection and all of it is leading up to this one little verse at the end, the conclusion. Here's the takeaway, Paul says. Here's why all this is important to get into your heads about all this resurrection and hope and victory and the future and all that. Here's why it matters. Verse 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul started 
all the way back in verse 1 of this chapter. If you remember way back at the beginning of the chapter, in verse 1 he said, Hey, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, he said in verse 1, by which you're being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. That's verse 1. He says, this is what you've received, Christians. You've received the gospel. You've put your faith in Christ. You're trusting in him. That's where you stand. That's where you've positioned your life. He talks about all this resurrection stuff, and then he comes to verse 58 and says, so now remember where you're standing? Now be steadfast there. Be immovable. Don't let anything shake you or push you away. Stay right where you are because the victory is coming. And as you stand there in your faith in Christ, give all of your effort to the work of the Lord, he says. Abound in it. Give yourself fully to serving the Lord Jesus in all that you do, knowing, having this confidence, this certainty, that your labor, he says, is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Here's what will not happen for us as Christians. You're not going to spend your entire life trusting in Jesus and serving him with all that you are and get to the end and regret it. That's not going to happen. You're not going to get to the end and realize that you were cheering for the wrong team, that you were on the wrong side. You're not going to get to the end and realize you were following a loser the whole time. Not going to happen because the victory is already won. Eternal life is yours and mine in Christ. It's not in vain. So Paul says, live life now following Jesus. Live now as if you have the greatest hope in the world because you do. And don't be shaken. Now, why do you suppose, if we step back and reflect for a moment, why do you suppose Paul has to say this? Why spend 57 verses in this chapter trying to persuade Christians in the city of Corinth that it's going to be worth it? Well, maybe because following Jesus can be really hard. Life has a lot of curveballs it throws at us. Jesus calls us to do some hard things. And sometimes it seems like it would be easier to just walk away. Is it really going to be worth it? Why not walk away? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I've felt that way at times. Like maybe following Jesus, maybe it's not worth it in the end. Maybe we should just give up. If you've ever had a sin in your life that you battle against and it's so stubborn and you can't seem to overcome it, why not just give up? When you feel like you're doing everything right in following Christ and yet life still isn't working, things still keep going wrong, maybe just give up. If you've ever served and feel like I'm, I'm giving and giving and giving, loving others until there's nothing left to give and it just doesn't seem to make any difference, why not just give up? 
You know, we're near, not just at the end of chapter 15, we're pretty much near the end of the whole book of 1 Corinthians. There's one more chapter left for us, chapter 16. And when we look at chapter 16 over the next couple of weeks, we'll see Paul has some final things to say, some greetings and whatnot. But he's pretty much wrapping up the main part of the letter. Why does he, at the end of his letter, spend so much time on the resurrection and appealing to these Corinthians to remember their hope and not to give up? I wonder if it's because Paul thinks some of these Christians might be ready to give up. And if you've been tracking along through the book of 1 Corinthians the whole way up to this point, maybe you'll remember that Paul has said some really hard things in this letter. And he's called these Christians to do some really hard things. He's been rebuking them, correcting them throughout the letter. If you were listening to this whole letter all in one sitting, this would be a whole lot to take in. And you might at this point think, maybe we should just give up on this thing called church and following Christ, because we're so far off. Remember, as we've gone through this letter, these are Christians who are divided against one another. They're fighting against one another. They have a big scandal in their church, and Paul has told them they need to throw someone out of their church and clean up their act. He's confronted their behaviors. Their sexual conduct needs to change. They need to change where they're eating, what food they're eating, how they're thinking about others, who they're sleeping with, how they worship. They need to go back to the drawing board and redo their whole worship gathering as a church. They need to learn to forgive one another, stop fighting, start learning to love one another. There's a lot of overwhelmingly hard things Paul has called these Christians in Corinth to do. And I suspect that if we were in their shoes 2,000 years ago, sitting and hearing this letter, I suspect it might creep into our minds, maybe we just give up. And so Paul says here in chapter 15, no, don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't be moved. Stay the course. Work hard. And know this. It will be worth it. Your faith is not in vain. Why isn't your faith in vain? Because the victory will be yours. When will the victory be yours? When Jesus returns and the trumpet sounds and we're raised to new and eternal resurrection life with him. How do we know he will return? Because he is raised from the dead and because he lives. He lives, he will return, the victory is ours if we belong to him. So don't give up. No matter what we're facing today, no matter what may have us discouraged or tired or frustrated, don't give up. There's a famous book, maybe some of you have heard it or maybe you've even read it, called Uncle Tom's Cabin. Anybody have to read that in high school or remember this book? So. I read this a while back, and it's a, it's a fictional story, a made-up story, but based on historical reality. It's about a slave in America from the 1800s, and kind of based on the types of experiences slaves would have had, but it follows this slave whose name is Tom. And Tom's story in this book is very tragic. Tom has a wife, he has kids, and he's, they're slaves, all of them are slaves on this farm together, but then Tom is separated from his wife and kids and sold off to another master. 
And Tom is a very hardworking slave in this story. He's honest, he's faithful. And with this new master, Tom earns the trust of his master. And this new master is a very, a very generous man to Tom. He's a, he's a slave owner, but he's very generous. And he promises Tom that he is going to give Tom his freedom so Tom can return to his family. And, and Tom has this plan worked on his head. He's going to return to his family and work hard to earn money and buy his wife and children out of slavery. And so Tom is holding on to this promise, this hope, that he is going to get his freedom and see his family again. But then there's a, a tragic turn in the story because Tom's master suddenly dies. And it turns out that his master, who was very sincere in making that promise to Tom, but his master had not written that down anywhere. And it wasn't in his will. And so Tom now is the property of his master's wife. And his wife is a very shrewd woman. And she's not going to just give Tom his freedom, not when she has bills to pay. And so she sells Tom off to a very cruel master, even farther away from his family. Here's my point in telling all of that. Tom's master made some good promises to Tom. But what good were those promises when his master was dead? And once his master died, Tom's hope was in vain. His hope didn't play out the way that he planned or hoped for it to. But not so with us as Christians. That's the good news for us. Our hope, our faith, our labor is not in vain. The whole point of this whole chapter, chapter 15, why is it not in vain? Because our master lives. Our Lord lives. Raised from the dead, never to die again. He's not going to die on us. He's alive forever. He will return. And when he does, we will be raised with him. And the victory is ours. We know how the story ends. And so live like it, Paul says. And he says, thanks be to God. Aren't we grateful? Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he concludes, verse 58, and therefore... Brothers, sisters in Christ, therefore, church, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And that's good news, isn't it? Amen? Amen. This has been a podcast from Grace Church of Mabton. For more information, visit our website at mabtongbc.org.